Hello, welcome to the Audio Guide, an art and culture podcast dedicated to give a voice to the people behind the amazing creative project. I'm Constance, and in this episode 10, I'm taking you to Paris to talk art with Charlotte Guetabi-Lebar. For sure, it's complicated because being a woman and living a woman's life, which means often having kids, it's challenging, but you just got to get organized and you have to make choices like everything in life. Charlotte Ketabi-Lebar is 29, the mother of two and the founder of the new place to be in Paris, Ketabi Project. I briefly met Charlotte last year. Fast and honest, I was impressed how she knows exactly where she's going. So I decided to reach out. And a few weeks ago, we met in her new space in Saint-Germain-des-Prés. In her office, she's facing me with a coffee with an artwork of Inès Longevial behind her. In this episode, we talk about her experiences working in the art world, the upcoming exhibition and Ketabi project from the beginning, but also the new generation of galleries in Paris, being a woman and living a woman's life, and how everything is about making choices. My name is Charlotte Ketabi. I am part French, part Iranian, part American. I am 29 years old and I'm the founder of Ketabi Projects Gallery in Paris. So we're obviously going to talk about Ketabi Project very shortly. But first, I would love to know what inspired you to work in the arts? Actually, it started very young. I can't really know why. I don't really have an explanation, but... When I was a very, very, very small child, I always admired all other kids who could draw, paint, you know, color, who were creative. And I unfortunately do not have one creative bone in my body. Uh, it's sad, but it's true. When I was a kid, my mom loves this story, but I used to have an art gallery when I was like four years old. And I would, well, in my room, of course, I would hang drawings from other kids in my class and I would actually trade their drawings for like toys or, you know, stuff I owned. You know, I have a little sister who's an artist and always admired, you know, all creative talents, musicians, painters, writers. And yeah, and it was a thing who just came to me. I grew up and of course I went through wanting to be a vet and wanting to be a princess and, uh, <laughs> and wanting to be a you know, firefighter. But when I was maybe 13 or 14, I went to Venice with my mom and brother and sister for the opening of Punta de la Dogana. And I saw a sculpture by Maurizio Catalan. You would walk into the foundation and that was the first thing that you'd see. And I was like, what in God's name is this thing? And it's amazing. <laughs> and who did this and why and how? And I don't know, it just like went like in my brain. And yeah, and a few years later, I was just, you know, following up on who the artist was and then discovering what the art world was and what galleries were. And, you know, it's not something that I had in my family. My parents are not collectors. They have no idea. I mean, my mom took me to museums, but they have no idea what the art market was until I mm -hmm. got into it. And uh, I had to learn by myself what everything was. And that's how I got there. Amazing. Yeah. So you're saying that you have no creativity at all? No, absolutely not. Well, but don't you think like a gallerist required to be creative in some ways, you know, to have an eye, to pick the right artwork, to curate shows? That's maybe more sensitivity because I don't, I, I mean, yes, maybe, but I'd be happy to curate shows and of course, and that's what I do every day and pick artists and I visit artist studios, you know, every week. 
But I always admire the artists for the creative, you know, action, painting, drawing, having the idea of using a color against another color. That's not something that I'm capable of doing at all. So you're not a galleries that actually go to, you know, artist studio and, and kind of orient artists in their production or in their Absolutely grid. not. No, no, no. Not at all. Everybody has to do their own job. An artist, that's what I tell all the artists I work with. I said, listen, I'm here to do my job. You're here to do yours. Basically, your job is to just paint for a painter, for example. You don't have to do your marketing, do your publicity, do your sales. That's All that is my job. So the important for an artist is to just focus on, you know, just painting. Because today, you know, with social media and everything is going so fast and now artists are being pressured to do way more than what's actually should be asked of them. You can consider a gallery as being creative, but it's not, not on the same level. Yeah, no, no. Not no. the same kind of creativity. You have to have a passion, and uh, yeah. I couldn't live without art, so, yeah. You started your career at Sotheby's Auction House as a tiny, <laughs> tiny intern before working a few years for the International Art Gallery, Natalie Obadia. What's the main difference between working in auction house and working in art galleries? Working in an auction house was amazing. It was fun. It was a huge company. Everybody has their place. So for somebody who has weird OCDs like me, it was very organized. <laughs> it was perfect. But there was missing a huge part for the art world. When you work in the art world, you want to work with artists. And working in an auction house, there were no artists. There were just the artworks, but there were no artists. You would just you would see the experts, you know, expert do their, their whole expertise, do cataloging, research, but I mean, there was something that was missing. And when I went to work for Natalie Obadia, the first thing that I saw is that you're in contact with the artists permanently, you know, every day. Everything is done in partnership with the artists. And mm -hmm. that's, yeah, the main, main difference. Talking about this, actually, like, you know, you can do so many different jobs in an art gallery. You can do logistics, sales, communication, working very, mm -hmm. very closely with the artist. And sometimes you can do all those things in one job, you know, <laughs> depending on the size of the gallery. What is the thing that you enjoy the most doing? What excites you the most? It's sad to say, but I love selling. <laughs> If you got to be honest, selling art, you know, because to sell an artwork is not like selling a hat or selling, I don't know, like a toy or food or anything. To sell a work, you have to dive into the creative process of the artist to explain it to the collector. So you really have to, you know, put yourself in the place of the artist, try to explain the way he explains it. And so there's this part of the whole selling process, which is really exciting. And then you have the most of the, the commercial part, which is more, you know, kind of adrenaline and uh, negotiating, very psychological. And uh, that's something that I find very exciting. So after five years working for Nadelio Media Art Gallery here in Paris, Year 2020, that famous year. That year. <laughs> you quit your job, leave your position as an art gallery director and start Ketavi Project. Absolutely. At the end of the year 2019, I had a baby, a little girl. And when I came back to the gallery, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because my job mainly consisted in going to traveling all over the world and going to 14 fairs a year, which means basically never being home. I didn't really have the time to think about it because I came back to the gallery in February 2020. I went to New York for the last Armory show early March and I flew back to Paris on one of the last flights 
before the whole world shut down. <laughs> so basically, I didn't really have the time to think about what I was going to do. And I went to Brittany with no Wi-Fi, a very bad 3G connection. So I was in this house with my husband and my baby girl, so I had time to think. And at some point I said, you know, let's just do it. If I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I also had a thing in mind was that I always heard Natalie, my former boss, when she opened her gallery, she absolutely wanted to open it before she turned 30. And so I was like, okay, I got to do the same. I have to open my gallery before I, I turned 30. And I was 28. And I just decided to go with it. But you always had this idea to open your own gallery someday. Of course, yeah. That was the idea that I always had in mind. But it was, you know, like a backdrop. It was there. Mm -hmm. It was somewhere. I knew I wanted to do it. But I didn't want to pressure myself. I had no clients. I, had no, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know mm -hmm. the collectors. I didn't know the art world. I didn't know museum directors. I didn't know foundations. I knew a few artists, but I had to grow up. I had to learn. I didn't know how to do the job. And I'm still learning now, actually. Every yeah, day. I mean, <laughs> it's an ongoing process anyway. You Absolutely. Know. The project started as a nomadic gallery organizing exhibitions in different locations. What decided you to settle here in Saint-Germain-des-Prés? So it started by yeah, being in a nomadic gallery for a very simple reason, is that I don't have a financial backer. I don't have anybody, you know, like throwing cash at me so I can open my gallery. And so for the first year, I had to sell a few works to be able to function. What decided me to get a fixed gallery was that all the shows that I did went really well. And the thing is, when you have this model in mind, it works very well. But between your shows, it's very difficult to sell. You can't show the works. You don't have an office to go to. You, I mean, it works very well until a certain level. You have to take a space because you have to be able to work full time. It's very interesting to me because I've read a few articles and they're all describing you as new generation of gallerists here in Paris. And so I wanted to know, like, how would you describe this new generation of gallerists in Paris? This new generation of gallerists is indeed more open, more collaborative, and uh, I would say more kind. But there still is, of course, a certain competition yeah, of, of course. course i mean you can't you can't just be nice and happy and sunshine and, and everything of course there is competition between galleries and of course there's competition between artists but for sure i would say this generation is more collaborative you know i send collectors to another gallery because i think that the show is amazing and uh, the artist is really cool and of course it's not my artist but i don't care i think the artist is amazing and I, of course i'll send the collector over there a new way to do business Maybe, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. The art world is still very much dominated by all the men. Of course. How is it going to be a young woman opening a new art gallery in this very competitive sector, very male-oriented? It's not easy every day. I grew up in the art world raised by a woman. So I, I knew and I saw the challenges that it was to be a woman. You just have to fight to be considered like everyone else, for sure. But, you know, as long as you're as professional as the others, uh, as professional as men, and I personally don't make a difference. I don't, I'm not very girly, but I'm not trying to hide as a man. You know, I think that the women from the generation before us, you know, had to act like men and had to be men and had to be tough. And 
you know, of course I'm tough, but I'm still a woman and I talk about my kids and I don't hide it and I'm a mom and I'm happy to be a mom. And of course it's not easy and it is a word dominated by men, but I don't care. What do you think uh, we can do to change this? Have more women open galleries. <laughs> just push women to open galleries. But for sure, it's, I mean, it's complicated just logistically wise. I see it every day. I mean, I have two kids under the age of three I'm at the gallery every morning at 9.30, 10, get home very late at night because I work like crazy. So I have a great nanny and my husband can work from home and he handles the kids in, in the evening. But for sure, it's complicated because being a woman and living a woman's life, which means often having kids, it's challenging. But you just got to get organized and you have to make choices like everything in life. It's unfair that women have to carry children. It's unfair. Okay. But it's nature. I mean, uh, what do you want to do about it? So. Okay, going back to your gallery, how is your gallery different from other gallery? How is Ketabi Project unique in a way? Well, first of all, I wouldn't say unique, but I'd say different. I show amazing artists <laughs> <laughs> who are absolutely extraordinary <laughs> and honestly who I believe in in like the deepest of my core. So let's start with that. Geographically wise. There are not a lot of young galleries in Saint-Germain-des-Prés. Saint-Germain-des-Prés is a really cool neighborhood for furniture, for tribal arts. And there are, of course, a few contemporary art galleries, but who are really super established, like Kamel Menour or Georges-Philippe Benoit. But geographically-wise, I'd say we're pretty unique, just for that. Other than that, on the program of the gallery, we work in collaboration with a furniture dealer. And we're actually putting on next week the first design show at the gallery. So that's going to be really exciting because I'm personally a design collector and I'm really passionate about it. So I think it's amazing to be able to work with a design dealer to put on a show. I consider a designer as an artist. So, for example, I'm putting on a show by this crazy, radical Italian designer called Paolo Palucco next week. Can you tell me the title of the show, please? Luck and Sex, that's all. It's actually a quote by the artist, by the designer, when um, you ask him, you know to just sum up his life that was it luck and sex so cool <laughs> that's a good summary that's a very good summary yeah. so the show is going to be entirely dedicated to his work so it's going to be you know just his sculptures his furniture there's not going to be works by other artists that's quite know, bold i think for a new gallery to have like empty walls yeah there will be nothing on the walls nothing yeah there's no proper you know traditional two-dimensional art for sale There's nothing traditional about Ketabi Project for me. No, there's not much traditional. No. And the, the list of artists is not really big. It's still ongoing. Completely. And uh, you were one of the first representing Inès Longevial, right? Yeah, absolutely. First. The opening was a real buzz. Yeah. <laughs> How come she wasn't represented yet? She actually worked with a small New York gallery, but she wasn't represented in France because she just didn't find the right fit, you know? No gallerist was smart enough to go snatch her and, and work with her because, I don't know, maybe people were snobbish about the fact that she had this Instagram celebrity that's very traditional from the institutional French market, not being interested in an artist just because she has a lot of followers on Instagram, which I find absolutely stupid. Why? Because it's not like a selling good argument. Because it means that she's not exclusive. For them, you know, it means like, oh, you know, she's an Instagrammer, she's a blogger, she's an influencer, which is absolutely not. She just used Instagram to show her works at the early, early stages of Instagram. Things just went in a way that 
she got she gained a lot of followers just because people just like her work but i mean it's a good thing yeah it's not a bad thing it's no. an amazing thing how and, would you describe uh, her work in a few words ines's work is i would say a rainbow of the divine feminine she's a sunshine and her works are a sunshine and at the same time They're kind of a yin and a yang, which means that when you see the colors that she uses, they're bright, they're vivid, they're they're deep. But at the same time, at your first sight, you know, the, everything seems very happy. And then when you look at the at the portraits, which are mostly self-portraits, you can see that there's kind of like a nostalgia, melancholia. And I don't, I really don't know how she does it. She's incredible. And uh, yeah, we're really you navigate between happiness and sadness, and and she has her use of colors is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean the work that is just behind you, for example, is just like the shadows. You really have the feeling that the sunshine is like yeah. Yeah. on those very almost very sad faces. Exactly. Yeah. 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 When I saw her work for the first time, I was like, oh my god, who is this artist? And We have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And everybody has to know. It's my mission every day. Yeah, for sure. Do you think the art world is still a bit too traditional in a way? The art world is very traditional. It's changing, but it's very traditional. It seems kind of weird because we show artists, we show creatives, we promote, you know, novelty. And the art world remains a very traditional place where, you know, there are auction houses, galleries, blue chip galleries, artists top-tier artists, blue-chip artists, collectors and super-collectors and museums and foundations. And things go in a way which is defined by the market. And of course, you know, there are evolutions, especially with technology, but it is a very traditional place. But, you know, I also find that reassuring because you know that when you start working with an artist as a gallery, there's a trajectory and you know exactly what path to follow. And so... It's at the same time something positive and something negative. The negative part, of course, is a very traditional way. And the fact that people aren't really open to, you know, novelty and new artists and artists who are known through Instagram or NFT artists. But at the same time, it's quite positive because you know exactly where to go once you started working in it. Well, the new generation of gallerists is going to change the world anyway, right? Of course. <laughs> the other thing is that you're also a mom of two beautiful, very beautiful young <laughs> children. So one gallery, two kids, and days that starts at 5.30, 6 a.m. When and how do you take time for yourself? Uh, I drive every morning my car. I'm sorry, it's so not green. I know it's, it's, it's very bad, but it's true. I will admit it. I drive my car. I'm one of the last people in Paris who still drives a car. How do you do that? I, I, I don't care. I get stuck in traffic. I do not care. I drive my car. It takes me This half an hour. This is my me time, being <laughs> stuck in traffic jam. No, but you know, it really is. It really is my me time because I'm alone in my car. I can be completely silent. I can, you know, just listen to nothing. I can listen to music and listen to radio. I can be on the phone. Sorry, also a very bad thing to do, <laughs> but it's true. I can call my friends, you know, chit-chat. And I have half an hour in the morning and half an hour at night. And that's really my me time. Basically, it's my only one. But the thing is, you know, when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you see is your kids. And the second thing you think of is going to your gallery, which is your gallery with your name on the door in your office, the sales that you made, the shows that you put on. 
I mean, all of this is me time for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my gallery. It's me time. Now I'm sitting and talking about my life. I mean, this is me time. <laughs> you know, Plus we're having a great coffee. And we're having coffee. I mean, you it's know, really like nice. I, I'm, I'm super happy. I've been here this morning since 9 a.m. And uh, I wouldn't be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty much me time too. So would you say everything is possible? Everything is possible if you're willing to make choices. That's simple. Make choices and uh, have a good organization. But make choices, for sure. Because I'm here and now and I'm not with my kids. Let's pause for a second. I have this traditional question that I love to ask to people. What type of sounds would you like to hear right now? Well, there are two sounds that... Can I say two? <gasps> yeah. There are two sounds Ooh. that I love. When I need, you know, peace and quiet, and I, I like to think of this noise. In the gallery, I have a glass roof. And when it's raining like crazy, you hear this kind of like, shh, like ASMR noises oh, in wow. the gallery and on the glass roof. And that's absolutely incredible just to hear this noise when it's raining. I just like go and sit in the space and just listen to the noise. So that's my very peaceful, you know, Zen music, Zen moment. That's not my favorite sound, actually. My favorite, favorite sound, I'm thinking of it, is, and don't think I'm crazy, is an art fair install <laughs> sound. <laughs> it's when you're installing an art fair, you know, there's this kind of like buzzing. You hear the drills, you hear the gallerists, you know, freaking out about something on their assistants. Uh, you see collators, you know, going going back and forth with sculptures. You hear the beep, 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 just going up and down, carrying sculptures. You see assistants right, with running around with papers and you're just drilling works. That's actually my, honestly, my favorite sound in the world. I know it's weird. I love it. I love it. I can't wait. No, no, but I see what you mean, like the buzz, the, the kind of like... Exactly. Not calm, but yes. like... I'm the... kind of an adrenaline junkie, but this is mm-hmm. uh, it's just a feel where you, you feel it tingle in your fingers and you're super excited and it's, yeah, really cool. What's coming for a KW project? How is 2022 looking? A lot of new things. I can't disclose everything at the moment, but yeah, a lot of uh, exciting projects. Well, there is this show uh, There's in this, March. exactly, design show by Paolo Paduco in March, an April show by Ines Longevial with works on paper only, which were never shown until now. In May, we will be presenting a show by Robert Wilson with furniture he designed for the opera, works on paper uh, that were not shown since Paula Cooper's gallery in New York in 1986. So I'm very excited about that. A few group shows, new artists, new projects. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where exciting, it goes. Exciting, exciting. As I would love to think that this podcast could become a kind of a guide for the cultural sector, Is there any books, exhibitions, movie, music, anything cultural you would like to recommend us? I love the Charles Ray show at Pompidou. I thought it was really, yeah, really exciting to see all these works that were usually presented in galleries or in museums in, in the U.S. And uh, to see them in France, it was really amazing. And the fact that there was the show both at Pompidou and at Pinot Collection created, you know, some kind of uh, emulation between actually the public and the private sector, which is interesting because it's something new in the art market. You know, usually there was a big separation between public art, private art, public institutions, private institutions. And now the fact that everybody's working together to show one artist is mm-hmm. really cool. And the show was amazing. 
To finish, what can I wish for your nearest future? For things to continue as they are. I say that I love the, the way that you just replied to me with your hand. Yeah, it's just a straightforward. <laughs> just, let's keep going straightforward. Please no third world war as we are uh, recording this podcast on a sad day for Ukraine. More art, more artists, more shows, you know, just keep on going as things are going because things are going very, very fast. You know, that's what I didn't answer your question earlier about the number of artists the galleries are representing. You know, at the moment we have four or five artists we're officially representing. You know, of course we're going to grow our artists to list and of course we're going to represent more artists. But at the time we have four people working for the gallery. My politic is to, when we represent an artist, to do everything we can. You know, contact a gazillion museums in the world, contact all the collectors, try to, you know, put on shows, do everything, do everything we can. And you can't do that when you're representing artists it's absolutely impossible when you have of course only a team of four so yeah just um keeping on 2022 maybe one two more artists and one or two more people in the staff and the gallery keep on growing and keep on growing to end on a very good note i'd like to ask you a very simple question yeah what are you grateful for today what am i grateful for today being in my gallery, living my dream. I mean, it's it's the dream. Just look where I am. I mean, uh, it is the dream. It's 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 my dream. It's what I always wanted to do. Waking up, going to my gallery. What else could I ask for? There's no nowhere else I'd like to be. Charlotte, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Constance. It's been a pleasure to see yes. you and to speak with you. See you soon. See you soon, Constance. This was the audio guide with Charlotte Ketabi-Lebar. Ketabi Project is open from Tuesday to Saturday in Saint-Germain-des-Prés. Paolo Paluco solo show Luck and Sex, That's All is on view until March 20, and Ines Longivial exhibition World on Paper will be open on April 7 until April 23rd. The future is bright for Ketabi Project. And more is to come for this young gallery in Paris. So stay tuned and follow them on Instagram at Ketabi Project. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it to a friend or on social media. And don't forget to follow the audio guide on all podcasting platforms and on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening and have a great one.